I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast with a discussion about what uh, systems would look like if we didn't have Kubernetes. And we started this in a really logical but interesting place, which is platform engineering. So we were having a good discussion about platform engineering and the challenges of platform engineering. And that segued directly into ways in which Kubernetes could be changed under the covers, used for virtualization, used for um, non-traditional containerized automation. And we we actually did a pretty thorough review of alternatives to Kubernetes and and ways in which Kubernetes um, can shape, but also misses the mark on what we need to do to build really usable platforms. And by platforms, we mean ways in which people can consume infrastructure more easily, uh, more effectively. You have an external perspective. Do you see some of the platform engineering talk uh, changing or reconfiguring? Hi, Chris. Hey, Josh. I'm happy to hear from you too. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was directed at me. I was. It was. I was. It was more a clause because you would just come in. But I'm. I'm happy for opinions in general. Well, I'm sure I do have that external perspective. (laughs) That's putting it mildly. No, are, you, are you expecting a, a change or, or is it something that you're, you're just wondering? Uh, <sighs> Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to shut up now and, and listen. Um, I, there, we're in the, I'm, there's a little bit of a backlash at the moment in platform engineering. Just because the term got hyped and, and marketed or converted into a marketing term for a while. And then I think it's still very relevant and real. I just, I'm not hearing a little bit of a backlash in it. So. I know the, the backlash was, was strong, like already back in January. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, I, I try to keep a distinction between platform engineering as it's being sold versus platform engineering as what I think it should mean. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, so yeah, uh, in, in terms of platform engineering as what I think it should mean, uh, I don't think it's changed much. Like it would still doing what what I'm always doing, um, like as far as that the, the marketing label is concerned, uh, I haven't really paid much attention to where it is these days. But uh, I, I I do see a, a little bit less new articles mentioning it. So so maybe so include that that it's a a slightly tainted term. That's. I think that's a good way to see it. I, I I feel like the buzz around it has dropped off a bit. Um, which I actually, I, I like. <laughs> I'm not, not objecting. There was a while where it seemed like everybody wanted to discuss platform engineering, myself included. 
uh, I think part of it is that it, there was yeah m- much fanfare about it, but very little tangible practical things to come up come around uh, and, and in addition very very few publications so when, when devops came came around and 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 various things related around it uh there was a sudden flurry of, of articles and on books about it it, it was it, it was fairly well planned from from the beginning. So there, there, there was mm. a you had the key document the, describing it, and then like a, this this very well connected network of references that right. all pointed to it. Uh, and you had you that, had a core you had a core group of, of people. Yeah, around around the movement. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that gave you consensus about what the term should mean. But yes, it was pasteurized later on, but we, we, we're going to ignore that that part for now. Uh, with platform engineering, uh, like it feels like, like they, they took it the other way around, is that they started as a marketing term and, and then tried to um, coin it as a practice, which, of course, that's where the backlash would be most natural. I, you know, you, I, this is actually where it was where I where I felt like it was being used organically and then but there wasn't there wasn't a, a real author or a real team or a real person point like it fortunately it's actually not a very good term. <laughs> yeah. So much stuff is a platform. But there is no single champion for it. Like it, let, let's take a more recent term, like GitOps. Like that like that less rice and 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 uh, the, the various people from from flux like they and, and weave they they mm. they had a very strong opinion as as to what it should mean um they it had also had a very narrow scope so they they doubled down on that and and, and it was a successor in terms of coining a new term because it got widely adopted right Platform engineering kind of lacks the flagship company to uh, to drive it. Oh boy! Huh. That's a really interesting comment. Um. The nice thing about GitOps is like Git is ended up surrounded like it's a it's a Git concept. The the people who were I agree with you. There's a there was a company sort of promoting the the concept, but they it wasn't the uh, you know the WeeVops, <laughs> right? It was it 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 had a degree of neutrality that they could could rally people around. Um, even like the way Ingress controller and observability. Um, there were there were company or there were two companies that really started the observability piece at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Honeycomb and um, <laughs> what's the other one? The other one. Yeah. Charity did a good job making it making it her. Yeah, there was another yeah. one. 
Um, yeah. uh, I, I mean, Charity really put herself out for, for that, and uh, she deserves the credit. <laughs> he does. She, she's a she's a force that perspective. Um, and and had a and you know what's missing that, that charity brought to observability she actually brought some and and to devops too some structural process um theory into it mm-hmm. right devops had a lot of agile and lean baked into it and deming right if you if you go back right you, you know it doesn't take john bless <laughs> his heart <laughs> to 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 get you back to Deming, you know, he's he's never more than more than two degrees of separation away from from a Deming comment when it comes to DevOps. Um, and, and yeah, in both cases, you you, you started with the, with the problem and you proposed a solution. I, I'm not saying that that yes. the platform engineering yes, is a right. solution in search of a problem, but uh, they they. The proponents of the term failed to make it clear, like, okay, like draw the line about what you're trying to solve here. Yes. And instead, it was again like vague, uh, point towards marketability. And uh, of course, um, the, the, the tech uh, sector is. Uh, less uh, less welcoming uh, to that than uh, let's say the, the management and, and sea level sector. You mean they're less welcoming to starting from what the problem is? They want to start from what the solution is. Uh, no, I'm saying like that. Uh, that citizens means and and. and Actually, the, the the people who who would benefit from from platform engineering, like DevOps engineers and so on, yeah. Um, I I find that that in in general, the demographic is um, less welcoming to to consider a solution that doesn't have a specific problem uh-huh. or, or a well defined problem versus the other way around. Like let, let's say like. Like with with uh, with containers that uh, or or with, with observability and or with, with DevOps, there, there was clearly so, something that 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 needed to change. Whether it was mm-hmm. it was a process or whether it was uh, a um, like a technology or, or whatnot, but but there's always something that that was found lacking that needed to be improved. The platform engineering, like, like it, it, it yeah. feels like they, they took something that people were already doing and then just slapped the label on it and said, like, okay, like now you, you're, you're supposed to call it this. Which, I mean, technically, yes. It, it, I, 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 and I, I, I agree that, that it, like, it's just putting a label on something that's already been doing. I, I'm not saying that, that that's useless. Because it like it it didn't it it it's so far just shoveled under the DevOps umbrella, which I believe is overburdened already. <laughs> so 
I personally welcome having another term, uh, as long as it's not, as long as the term is not like perverted for other uses. Uh, but um, yeah, well, it, I, and I, that, that's that's where that's where it gets that's where it gets people's ire. Is right now it got perverted in dev portals. Yeah, so which, so. Which, People already know dev portals or dev portals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, it, it's unfortunately because uh, like, I, I feel like it's a very fitting term for a specific use case, which, which should have its own label. Uh, but um, yeah, like if, like if the phrase is already poisoned, then the, like there's, I'm sure that there's going to be another label that, that comes up eventually. Yeah. And hopefully by then we'll have a better champion. Well, I do, I do think it helps to start from, from the problem. Although it's, I was, you were making me think about Docker. Um, although the, when, when they started, when we started down the Docker path, there was a very clear articulation of the problem. To me, um, in in the de- in how it was defined and and what what it was doing, um, it, it, it it was maybe not a, a very clear articulated problem, but it was a problem that could be sensed very well. Like that, that, that there were issues with dependency management, there were issues with packaging. Uh, software um there, there were competing approaches to to all of this uh and and it was a pain point and, and it was a tangible pain point um mm-hmm. docker could have succeeded could have failed when when, when it started out right like it, it wasn't the only approach but um and, and i'll be be honest when, when I was initially I was initially skeptical, um, like I, I and that is because I was coming from a system in perspective where I was maintaining VMs with configuration management. Uh, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I I I don't see what Docker brings to the table here, particularly because I, at that point I was already using LXC containers, so it it felt more familiar. Uh, over the long term, I I. I I've pivoted uh, and uh, particularly like the see, see, having seen Docker from a publisher perspective instead of a user, uh, like a consumer perspective, put it into a, a very different light for me. Uh, because uh, that's where mm. I finally un- understood the value of Docker. Because you no longer need to. to Address, you no longer need to need to target twenty different packaging systems. You, you just put your Docker container, and it can run on every any Linux system that has yeah. enough to occur. That that is a huge win. It was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I understand why why it won out. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think that there were layers of what made Docker so powerful, and I agree with you. It was really hard for people to figure out, like I, I had a lot of arguments with people 
about why what made what made Docker so powerful. Um, because they 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 didn't they're like okay that's cool it's you know a developer can create a new environment you know really fast I'm like yeah that that's that's powerful but from an operations perspective there was a lot more going on mostly because people didn't understand how painful it was to navigate the dependency train uh, chain to get something to work on a on a system like what you just described I agree with you I could write it give you a container and run it on any Linux that had patched the kernel regardless of the distro. And I mean, I, most people just have no comprehension of just how fragile distros are. Um, and, and they still, they, they never will because they're using containers now. Um, I, and, and there's still some, some enclaves of, of very skeptical people, particularly in, in, the, in the BSD communities uh, that, um, that don't see much value to Docker. And, and to be fair, yeah, that they have a completely different use case um, because BSD is much closer to being a um, homogenous system than, than is Linux. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's good to have uh, a frequent uh, reconsideration uh, of of a technology, uh, both in favor and, and against, and mm-hmm. um, and yeah, like even even Kubernetes could could see this uh, at some point. <laughs> and that's actually the, the the topic for the day is, um, <laughs> um. I didn't expect us to get here, but we did actually. It was just about redesigning the control plane and replacing the container manager, but keeping Kubernetes. It's actually going that that step further. Um, of of thinking, thinking through what if you didn't have we went because we have to, this is we went the other direction first, which was what is the you know what happens if we. Uh, Broke Kubernetes, but um, God, what if we what if we kept Kubernetes but took away Docker? Uh, I guess that's OCI, but that technically happened. Yeah, like uh, Docker is no longer officially supported by at least sorry, Docker Shim is no longer officially supported by, by Kubernetes, uh, and. Yeah, you know, or, or the past couple of years, there was a big pivot towards other runtimes, whether that be CRIO or uh, ContainerD or uh, what's the other one that uh, the, that was an, an earlier one, uh, Rocket. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I liked Rocket. I thought Rocket was a really, really novel way to... Uh, by just use, using uh, system B to manage this, mm-hmm. manage containers, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think that the there's still going there's still going to be some changes that, that we're going to see in the future, whether it is replacing the OCI runtime on on Linux distros. Or porting coordinates to to other OSs, like 
I, I'm sure Microsoft is feeling the pressure to mm. uh, to have some <laughs> native support for for Kubernetes on on on, on the Windows servers, and, and not through WSL. Um, there's been some enthusiast efforts to to bring Kubernetes to to BSD. So why wouldn't it, wait? Be a, why wouldn't Kubernetes work on BSD? Oh, because it it relies on C groups, which are, are not a thing on BSD. I completely missed. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I, that makes sense. It's actually running on Solaris from a zone, using zones from that perspective too. Um. Yeah. I mean, could you turn, this is like, we've looked at Nomad as an alternative to Kubernetes. Um, and I, I actually think there's some scenarios where it's pretty reasonable. Um, one of the attractions for Nomad is it actually does a pretty good job with VMs, better job with VMs than Kubernetes does. Because um, it's a different, it's an architecturally different construct. Um, or different, slightly different. Um, would we, I mean, could we be using Kubernetes to, I mean, I, I guess there's uh, lib or uh, kubevert, but, um, yeah. um, and there's also the, the, the other approach, uh, which okay. is, um, I don't know if you paid much attention to it, but uh, Chris Noah has been working on, on a runtime called Ori. Or Aura, I don't know how you pronounce. I was, it. Haven't seen haven't seen Chris's work at all. No. Yeah. So, um, here, let me share the link. So this is intended to be a like a like a a runtime running as PD one, essentially. Okay. Uh, so. Um, Huh. There's a couple of interesting concepts, but but there, it it could very well be that if, if this matures and, and becomes commonplace in the future, that it, it could replace the the container runtime that the Kubernetes uses currently, uh, because it would be OCI uh, compatible, but it would also be able to run virtual machines or or, or any other processes. Um, Okay. Remember them working on this, okay, on a on script language. Yep. Yeah. Um Chris has been has created uh a, a scripting language for this um okay. based on certain requirements. So like uh, I I'm not I'm not sure whether the, the scripting language is going to take off. I mean, it, it certainly worked for HashiCorp, which is CL. Yeah. But um, the, the, there are some benefits and there's some downsides to this. The downside, of course, is that that's yet another thing that one would have to learn. Uh, yeah. the, the benefit is that it would be much more domain specific than um, something else. But yeah, this is um, 
there's certainly um again uh, there's the capability of, of integrating it in, into kubernetes or, or at least uh, there's the aimed capability to do so um but uh it also showcases that uh, one could replace everything below the control plane in, in Kubernetes and still have a consistent experience, which is um, which is very beneficial. Yeah, no, that would be interesting. So. Replace things below the control plane. That's that's swapping out containers. It's giving you access to more infrastructure surface types. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead. So so yeah. So 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 not just replace the just the, the runtime, but also replace the host in its system and and everything else. Like which again okay. brings you brings you back to things like uh, huh. like firecracker VMs and, and things like that meant meant to run in a virtualized environment, right? Um, which let's be honest, like it, it, yes, there there are some use use cases where you might want to run Kubernetes on a Raspberry Pi or or, or new hardware, but by and large, Kubernetes nodes are virtualized these days. So that's right. Um, so it, it makes sense to to aim for the the most for the greatest common denominator and uh um and then uh deal with everything else as an exception. But yeah, being able to to launch not just containers, but let, let's say arbitrarily like uh again small vms or, or micro vms or or even yeah. system services like it, it, imagine instead oh, of having to run a, a daemon set you, you can you can use your your runtime to to launch a system d service or or, or the equivalent so then it could actually control the operating system that you're that you're running on right or the networking yeah or 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 run huh. run agents on, on, on the host. Yes, you can you can do that with with a demon set already. Uh, but uh it it gives you more options that uh particularly with with, with running privileged services that than just uh either running a privileged container or using eBPF. Okay. Right. I mean at some point containers are really just process uh, <laughs> process stacks. Um, or, or thread, thread management, right? Portable threads. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Rocket, where Rocket was interesting from that perspective. And then, yeah, some of what Nova had been doing was um, having a you know so closer to Nix is the way I is the way I understood what she was doing. Like like making the the OS more controllable that perspective yeah and then and then kubernetes becomes your distributed red or uh service service os management you had the right hooks for it yeah uh and okay more importantly like you (laughs) you can start 
like with, with something like like Aura, Aura, you can start considering uh, running threads smaller than a container stack, which brings you back mm. to to the older technologies like like uh, MCI or or, or PVM, uh, or yeah, MCI or or, or PVM, where okay. like the 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 Ur, uh technologies for for running distributed processes so it's instead of having to containerize everything and, and then figure out how to run those in, in in the in an optimal fashion like if you can just run a process like without the the init system um without having to use C groups because there's other more native process isolation tools in, in place. Uh, it gives you a, a lot more flexibility and potentially portability oh. as well. Do you have to be able to define those in a in a, in a mutable, immutable way? Like from a I guess that's what that's what we're doing here. Right. In order for that process control e, e, but configuring individual machines is different. Like Kubernetes, I guess you can do that. Just by just binding binding a, a service, you know, you know, to a host, and then and then just using Kubernetes to manage the service service state or existence. I guess what I'm where where I hear you going is basically I can say oh I've got a fleet of hosts I can manage them in a distributed way um, by exposing this pod is the current way to think about it but you know having a pod that controls my networking infrastructure my storage infrastructure uh, I, I'm thinking. I, the the way I'm I'm seeing this is, is more in the other direction, okay. where you, for example, things where where you would use maybe uh, WebAssembly or or EBPF. Um, so so again, like standalone processes that that, that do one job and I need to do it well with with, with low latency. Um, the current approach of of using C groups and uh, and running things via the with the Kubernetes control plane managing processes, it the, there there is an an overhead to it. it. It's far less than with VMs, but but the overhead is mm. still there. Yep. Uh, and I see there being a mm. space for runtimes that just let you run processes with very little overhead. Again, like you, you can do it with, with EBPF, but EBPF with Kubernetes is still a very borderline well, case. You you still need a way to manage and configure and and to me what you're describing, right? Most of Kubernetes I think of as here is a service in a generic sense, run it somewhere. I don't, I don't, I don't really care where, where you, there's ways to pin to a host or find a affinity, but for the most part, there, you know, uh, 
hosts, uh, you know, you're not, you're, there's no specific host. It's host, it's resource. Yeah. Some of what you're, what you're describing. And I think this is the way I see EBPF. It's like, you actually care about the individual, you know, the identity of an individual component become, is it has to be managed. And so mm-hmm. you have to sort of pierce the, 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 you know, take, you know, take this thing and run it somewhere for me. You know, we're, we're, we're switched. Uh, not necessarily. Um, I, I, th- I think it's more that I see Kubernetes as being very good at scaling up, but it it struggles when you scale down. When, when you go to the to more resource constrained systems or or, or or edge or or things like that, or or, or high performance computing as well, where every single CPU cycle counts. So, so yes, like you, you, you can you can take a process that runs well on a single uh, container host and, and use Kubernetes to, to run it just as well on twenty or two hundred or two thousand. But there's still cases where a Kubernetes workload does not make sense. Again, like. Imagine, like, imagine running a small cluster like Raspberry Pis or or, or NAS, yes, like, right. like for That's example, right. uh, like Chick Fil A does. Um, when we've discussed this in the past, <laughs> we have discussed like they 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 have limited resources on 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 those hosts. So right. and they they and they want and there's interesting reasons um, why they chose. They even decided that they needed Kubernetes to run. You know, yeah. But, but the bottom, but the bottom line is like they're they're still using fairly sizable hosts. There. Like yes, they're they're Nux, they're not mm. servers, but but they're still built on a Raspberry Pi. There are people, however, that, that are trying to run Kubernetes on a Raspberry Pi, and and it's great for testing things out. Like yeah, I, I I've got three Raspberry Pis that are talking to each other. Now what? I, I have maybe like when with all of the. With all of the demons and and with the kubelet running and, and everything else, I I have maybe a gigabyte of memory left per node tops. That's not going to be very useful for for running any any kind of sizable workload. Yeah. Uh, so okay. being able to make that whole stack leaner by mm. by by bringing some non-containerized options to to the to Kubernetes itself to say okay instead of run, yeah. running a kubelet as a container I run the the, the kubelet as an RA cell uh, and, and now I save I don't know half of the, the resources that, that that it consumes that that makes a big difference in, in those in, uh, in those environments okay. it, it, it makes running things in, in the edge or or, or let's say like uh, as a um, as a controller for a con- uh, connected vehicle system, much more practical. Mm-hmm. That's true. We're embedded in the firmware, even or or on the on a smart deck, mm-hmm. or, or on a cell phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but that at that point you're you would yeah the other you wouldn't containers to manage the other pieces you. 
some type of immutable process. You still you still need a way to describe a process in some immutable way. It's actually you're almost describing inspect, by the way. <laughs> Jeff Inspect. Um so so I mean there's certainly a like it may not be a very um it like it may not cover the, the needs of, of 90% of people, but there, there's that there's that other 10% that certainly ha- have a use case for this. Uh like for replacing everything under the the the, the under the control plane and in Kubernetes. Um mm-hmm. it, it's going to be like if if there's practical implementations for this coming out, then it's it's going to make quite a lot of waves. I think like we're still quite a ways off, uh, quite a way off until there's actual practical uh, implementations. But I'm I'm optimistic. Hmm. I guess, I guess, does that, is that powered by having the Kubernetes as the the framework to innovate around? Some of, some of what you're describing I, doesn't, is, has been there all along, I think, right? It's just, we need a better way to control processes or... Uh, I was advocate a little bit, but yeah, yeah. It, it might not be Kubernetes that, that, that takes off with it. Right. Um, but there, there, there is some value in, in at least attempting to do it with Kubernetes, and that you already have a significant ecosystem where if you add it as a feature, um. Just, you're gonna see a a much uh, much accelerated adoption mm-hmm. as you would okay. if you were to completely replace the Kubernetes stack or, or add it as yet another option that is not Docker, not Kubernetes, not not VM, and so on. Already, it's already comprehended. It's interesting because one of the, the things that made OpenStack break. Uh, in my opinion, in the early days, was the fact that they tried to be virtualization platform agnostic, and that made that added complexity. Kubernetes did a good job of, you know, hey, we're Docker only, and then adding in <laughs> the other runtimes. Um, and so, so you didn't you didn't have the try to make things generic first. You said, "All right, this is this is how a runtime should operate." Here's a good example. Here's all the syntax around it, and then the other systems knew what they had to fit into. Or if the if, the, if it stretched, it stretched in you know, small ways. From that perspective, yeah, that makes sense. So what we've got is we've got a, a contextual framework for describing how we want to manage a, a service. From that perspective, and then you could define services in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense to me from, from that. It's interesting because I was talking to uh, one of the edge groups that I'm on, and my my point very strongly was, you know, 
uh, Kubernetes, because people are used to using it, is you know will be the language for how we express service control at the edge. Just because nobody's going to want to, you know, people know it. <laughs> There's a huge value for, for knowing right, how to express. Uh, I'm delivering a service, and I'm gonna. I know how to spin it up. I know. I know how to do affinity for it, anti-affinity. The, the, the syntax is there more than the syntax. Yeah, I mean, there, there's still there's still improvements to be made. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we we see different changes on 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 our release by release version. Some sometimes things get added, sometimes things get removed. Um, but um, it's seeing a uh, still a, a fair share of uh, maintenance, so so that's that's good. I think that that's healthy. Um, it's it's however, yeah. The, again, the, there's 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 still performance issues uh, uh, on one end of the spectrum. Uh, and and it is a sore point for Kubernetes. Um, the performance, yeah. So it's so like again, like mm-hmm. on on smaller systems, like uh, the, the, the overhead. overhead. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, there's also the overhead in terms of understanding how to use the Kubernetes system. Like like even I would not recommend someone who just wanted to run a. a like a couple of containers on a single system uh, that do, do use Kubernetes. Like I would say, like no, just just use Docker Compose. Once you're ready to graduate to to all scaling and whatnot, yes, then you can can look into this. Well, I haven't um, heard I haven't heard Compose for a long time. I I used to use Compose. It's great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I mean, shouldn't it be? Uh, this is this is where my question is going to go. You sort of teed it up. Shouldn't it be like um, Nomad or Compose adopt Kubernetes syntax? This like like what's keeping us from having you know I, you know you know I, I'm I'm thinking about like all the all the, the micro Kubernetes stuff. Which is is forked or forks and trimmed, but why not? Why don't we have like Nomad with the Kubernetes API or the syntax is just that different? Not be able to, to wrap it, to swap out the, the scheduler backend. I I think they they just don't want to tie themselves to an API that they might they might not want to follow. Hmm. And, and and there are certain things that that are going to be difficult to to reconcile. Like for example, you couldn't do persistent volume cleans with, with compost. Like it's just not practical. And, and for the most part, you, you just do local volumes anyway. Um, yeah, yeah I'm I'm thinking through the I'm, I'm thinking I'm looking for other analogies where we shimmed we shimmed one interface to another another interface. 
Um, at the end of the day, I think one of the challenges is it's the fidelity, fidelity gaps are, are problematic. Um, well, I, I guess the only other case with that, that I can think of quick, uh, or two cases actually, where, where, where a new interface shimped an, an, an old one was, uh, have been system D, uh, shimming the init system or, or like, uh, Hmm. The, the the older style in it, and um, and Wayland uh, shimming uh, X11, uh, and in and in both cases, this is these are really just meant for a transitional phase. They're, yeah. they're, they're not meant to be uh, like yes, you you're, you're now com- compatible with this and that. Yeah, so replacement. Yeah. And also the, the replacing system is arguably more complex than the, the originating one. With what we're discussing here with Kubernetes is, is actually going in the other direction. So let, let, let's like we, we have we know we have a Kubernetes, which is a beast. Uh how can we slim it down or make it compatible with more with, or with less scalable environments? Challenges. It's hard to see. I guess we we have people slimming Kubernetes down to smaller environments, um, and there's an the element of Moore's law is just going to catch up. <laughs> we're going to need to. We're not going to worry about it as much. Um, yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- th- there's things like K3s and K0s and yeah. microcades and whatnot. Th- they're all very domain specific. So that they're they're either tied to a particular vendor's release cycle or they they require a specific platform, um, which does hurt their their adoption. Um, I, I clearly that there's there's some some uses for them because that they're still around. Uh, and I, in particular, use at, at least one of the ones that I mentioned. Um, the, it, it is, however, again, like it's not the common denominator. So, so reaching that target audience and, and maintaining it is much more difficult for the vendors than than to say, like, yeah, mm. we're just going to support vanilla Kubernetes and, and then. If you're having a problem in, in a specific environment, then then let's talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the micro is a place where the generic Kubernetes does not does not work. Um, the number of, of micro Kubernetes um, distros that for projects is a little surprising to me. I guess they, they serve different use cases. Um, I don't know if it's that that they serve different use cases. I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of only two use cases that are that cover 
nearly all of the, the micro distributions. The, the, <laughs> so the first one is dev environments, where it's like, uh, okay, I, yeah. I just want to run something Kubernetes like on, 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 on my computer, which in which case like Minikube or MicroCase are the, the typical winners on, on, on that field. And then there's the, the scenario of like, oh, I, I just want to run it on, on my home server. Like I, I, I don't need, I don't need multiple nodes. Uh, I have limited resources, uh, and in those cases, yeah, K3s and K0s and, and even microcades um, are more favored on that. So, so certainly not Minikube. But um, yeah, again, like I'm going back to what we're talking about platform engineering. Uh, this is. Like the same kind of thing that that Kubernetes certainly proposed a solution to a very well perceived problem, which is That's um, right. like yeah, like how how to make like deploying workloads as cattle much more streamlined. <laughs> and, like I, I, I they didn't yeah. succeed, they did not succeed in making it easier, but the, at least not at the smaller scale. I, but uh, it it did make it easier at at the larger scale. I always I always contend that there's a a sweet spot between um, overly some overly restrictive and overly complex. And, and Kubernetes probably a little on the complex side, but it compared to the alternatives, it was it was not overly restrictive. Mm-hmm. Like Swarm and um, Compose, you know, very 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 limited. In that perspective, yeah. Um, and again, compose it, it works great for when you need to manage things on a single host, yeah, yeah, no, but it uh, really does not, yeah. No, doing multi host, multi host adds a, a high level of complexity for how this that how that should work, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so with multi-host, you're 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 typically looking at either compose plus a configuration management tool like like um, like Ansible or Chef or Puppet, or you 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 you're jumping straight into the the holistic solution like Kubernetes or Nomad. Yeah, so the multi-machine problem is adds a significant amount of complexity for this. Um, I, I do like the framing back to the platform engineering question of like what you know we, we actually have to understand what the problem that the, that you're solving is. Um, and I'm still smiling about your calling it the cattle pets versus cattle problem. Um, that's not that's not exactly how I thought about it. I I was I thought about it as um, you know the sort of not caring where the container is scheduled, but the multi multi server, the placement problem. Well, I mean, it's it's what it should be, and, and or at least which is which is the strength where Kubernetes is. Yeah. Uh, the, the the issue is more than that. Tying it back to the discussion in between about well, what is preventing like K threes, micro K's, etc. from 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 gaining more traction. Is that these are 
more pet-like systems. Yeah, that's right. And he, this is actually part of, and, and there's a longer conversation here than we have time for. Um, Ed, Edge Edge has um, much the need when you start talking about these edge environments. Uh, the systems are um, not as generic. They're not as they're differentiated. They start you start caring <laughs> which where they are, what they're connected to, you know. It, it, all, all of all of the things that Kubernetes is designed to ignore uh, come back relevant mm-hmm. considerations. Um, I am I'm going to need to wrap us up because I have a I have a hard hard stop. Do want to say no? I have no I have a conflict, so no meeting next week. Uh, and we don't have a topic yet for the thirtieth. a ton of things in the background. Um, any, anything specific on your mind? From Nothing for the theories that, that I can think of on the top of my head, like perhaps one of the conferences that are happening between now and then. Uh, see, I am going to be at Glucon. That's actually why I'm traveling. I'll, get, I'll do a Glucon retro. Uh, I think that that would, we might end up doing that on <laughs> both on Tuesday and Thursday. But let's do a, let's do it let's do a Lucon retro and then we'll and then we'll do some planning. Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Klaus. Thanks, Josh. Thank good you. Conversation. Rob. Very good. Always a pleasure. Bye. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Uh, It is really important to me, and I think to everybody in the industry, to always be pushing back on the standard narratives about what is the right architecture, what is the right way to do things, what do we assume to be correct, uh, and make sure that what we're doing is the right thing for the right reasons. And I, I love podcasts like this, where we really tease things apart and look at alternatives to how we're doing things and question our own assumptions. If you enjoy these, please come in and join us for other ones. Be part of the discussion. We love topics like this, and uh, you can be part of the conversation or bring your questions. At the 23.cloud, we would love to have you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.